the scientist of some popular renown, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, recently tweeted a critique of the Marvel Comics superhero, the Incredible Hulk, writing, the Hulk is green from a potent accidental dose of gamma rays. Actually, Bruce Banner would have died within days from organ failure. Now, my first thought here uh, was that modern science claims that the Puritans were allergic to fun, but can't even let us read comic books in peace if they don't meet their exact standards of what fun is allowed to be. Apart from, on the other hand, though, apart from why an acclaimed astrophysicist feels the need to debunk comic books, uh, my second thought was about how interesting it actually is that Bruce Banner, and I know fictionally speaking, survived being filled with such a powerful energy. Now, the difference is the difference between scientists and historians is, is that we historians are not so caught up in what was allowed to happen. Scientists, rather than Puritans, I think, are the legalists of academia. And we just ask, as historians, the questions, what did happen and why? Fictionally, yes, again, Bruce Banner did make it through the ordeal that should have killed him and was transformed, though, into a stronger, more powerful version of himself, albeit still with his lingering personal weaknesses. Okay, so when we last got together, when last week we began our series, sorry, last week in the evening, uh, when we began our series on God's ordinary means of grace, I framed my concern for this issue in light of two main guiding issues. And the two poles to help us navigate our explorations of God's means of grace were our experience of our relationship with God and then God's work of sanctification in us. Now, last Sunday evening, we thought much more directly about our experience of our relationship with God and how God has made our connection to him tangible by providing us with his ordinary means of grace. And now I want to circle to the other end and and emphasize that second guiding pole, taking up the issue of our growth in godliness, our sanctification, and how this connects to our topic of the means of grace. Here's the thing. I know that a lot of Christians flounder on this issue. Not in practical terms, as if I, I think that there's a lot of believers that are unfaithful people. No, quite the contrary. I think, well, I know that I mean this in terms of, I think that there are Christians floundering in terms of their personal confidence concerning sanctification and what God has and will do in us. The road before them as they hope to develop personal holiness looks steep and winding, difficult and confusing. And so many believers, I fear, think that it is just up to them to sort out their lives and make themselves better. And so we need to be reminded again that the Westminster Shorter Catechism 
35 summarizes the biblical teaching on this issue. As we even heard it, what did God say to Israel? I will cause you, I will cause you to walk in my ways. And our catechism says sanctification is a work of God's free grace. Not your efforts, not your best tries combined with God's grace. A work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto righteousness. That particular point of note is that God sanctifies. He is the one who does the work of growing His increase of holiness in us. This happens to you bringing about the result of more and more dying to sin and living to righteousness. And still, faithful Christians long for some concreteness, some specificity concerning their walk with the Lord and how they might have confidence in their growing strength to honor Christ with their conduct. And so we are left to ask that question then, how does God do His work of sanctification in us? And our main point tonight is that God sanctifies us primarily by using His ordinary means of grace, namely word, sacrament, and prayer. God sanctifies us Primarily, by using his ordinary means of grace, namely word, sacrament, and prayer. Now, one point of clarification that I want to make, um, although, I mean, we're, we're kind of in a, we'll get to more specific treatments of these means, and yet there's, there's a few of these messages here at the beginning where uh, I'm trying to highlight a bit more introductory matters, I suppose. And so before we get properly to word, sacrament, and prayer, I might latch on to one means or other as an example. And that's my point, is that if I, if I focus in on one here in these first few sermons, it's as an example. And these considerations are meant to apply in principle across the board to word, sacrament, and prayer. As means of grace. So even if we come, for example, perhaps to think about baptism in a few moments, uh, the principle I'm pulling out isn't just for that. It's for all of the means. Now we're going to think about that main point in, in three subpoints. An outward means, an inward grace, and grace for growth. So first, let's, let's think together about how When we think about the means of grace, we are talking about an outward means. An outward means. We we have two coordinates in, in the two passages that we read tonight that help us move the right direction as we think about this question of how does God sanctify us by using the means of grace. And this point is about exploring our first coordinate, that God uses the means of grace as his outward, 
his external instrument to sanctify us. And so we're going we're to think more here about the, the Galatians passage. And two things are notable from Galatians 3, verse 27, for our encouragement, I believe. So the first thing, if you just lock your eyes there on, on that verse, is that the phrase, put on Christ, refers to Christ as the source of our holiness and growth and godliness. As we observed when we studied the book of Galatians, much of this letter is about the doctrine of, of justification. Uh, despite that, this the point in this section is about how the person renewed in Christ is, is not under the law, not only in terms of its penalty, but its power. Justification takes us out from under the law to be righteous in God's sight, but all the justified people are new creations. So how do, how do we, in, how do we know that this phrase, put on Christ, is about personal renewal? Well, the other instances of it in scripture, uh, are clearly about that. So, Rome, let me just read, uh, a few of these to you. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Clearly linked in to sanctification. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of create, uh, of the creator. Ephesians 4, 24. Put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, so the first thing that we see here is Putting on Christ is about our personal renewal. And the other notable point for our encouragement as we, as we continue to focus our, our thoughts here for this first coordinate is to notice how baptism puts Christ on believers. Baptism, and again, this is an example of, of a principle that applies to all the means of grace, but we see it explicitly in this passage. Baptism as a means of grace is the application of Christ to his people. The word sacrament and prayer all apply Christ to his people, but Paul used baptism here as an instance of this principle because, because it's, sign- as he's as he's talking about renewal, baptism does signify the transition from uncleanness to cleanness in Christ. Signifies a purification. Now, here's the thing. We've made a big claim here. I think it's clear in the text. But let's get ahead of a potential misunderstanding. right? Because we've, we've highlighted how Paul indicates baptism is a means of grace that applied Christ. That's kind of effectual language. And, right, as we see there, though, that he said, as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, there's a couple of things we need to, we need to say. The first, as we'll unpack more fully later in this sermon series, theologically, the sacraments depend upon God's Word and the Spirit's blessing for their efficacy. They don't do it 
on their own. They're not magic. They're tools. They're visible sermons, as Calvin said. Water that has been consecrated by God's Word, by God's Word read, preached, and prayer used for institution. Water that isn't that, set apart in that way, it can't be baptism. And so, water only becomes useful for baptism through God's Word. So within the means of grace, God's Word has a priority. And we'll come back to that in later weeks. But second, and I think this is the one that, the first one shocked probably no one, um, and hopefully this one won't shock you either, but, but gets at the heart of a more potentially worrisome objection that's, that's floating around right now. No means of grace effectively applies Christ to someone apart from faith. You can go back, Paul has said, baptism, everyone who's been baptized has put a Christ. It still doesn't happen apart from faith, which is especially important, I think, to note in regard to baptism partly because of the nature of debates we've had with with Roman Catholicism, um, other reasons as well. But nonetheless, there is an objectivity to this sacrament, and yet we need to to link it to how it connects to faith. Now let's, let's read Galatians 3, 26 and 27 together, and I'll sort of insert some explanatory remarks as we go. For, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, and what does he say? Through faith. Meaning God doesn't adopt anyone apart from true faith in Jesus. That's very clear. No one's shocked yet. For, and what is for? What what should we translate for as? Because, right? Because, so Paul's stating the reason why, Why we are sons of God through faith. Sons of God through faith because as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's an interesting claim. So baptism applies Christ to someone making them a new creation but not apart from faith in Christ. How do we smooth out the potential tension here, especially for us since we baptize babies, right? Let's think about a USB drive, right? You, you, the little memory sticks the, to plug into your computer. The memory stick, your USB drive itself, objectively contains the information stored on it. It's on that, it's on that drive. It is there. The problem is that you can't load the data off that USB drive by holding it flatly against the side of your computer or sticking it against the the laptop screen. Right? That won't work. The, The data will not load on your computer, no matter how much you put them together, until that USB drive is inserted in the USB port has to line up. These have to align. And in like fashion, baptism by God's work contains 
the application of Christ's benefits, but does not load them into the person until received by faith. The distribution and the reception have to align. And this is why Westminster Confession 28.6 says, the efficacy of baptism, now note that this is a, I think this is one of the phrases that we neglect some, but it's a fascinating one. The efficacy of baptism is not tied to that moment of time when it is administered. Yet, <coughs> excuse me, notwithstanding, by the right use of this ordinance, the grace promised is not only offered, but really exhibited and conferred by the Holy Ghost to such, whether of age or infants, as that grace belongs unto, according to the counsel of God's own will, in his appointed time. Namely, when he brings them to faith. So, word, sacrament, and prayer are all in outward means, but they signify and convey something else, an inward grace. And so we come to our second point, an inward grace. So we've thought about this first coordinate, trying to get hold of of all the means of grace, all of them, as, as an outward means that God gives to us for our ordinary use in which he does his work of sanctification. And so our other coordinate from the passages that we we read to help us see how God sanctifies us by using his ordinary means of grace is that inward spiritual effect that is produced in believers. We We already, to some degree, leaned into this point in reflecting on the connection uh, between baptism's benefits, which have a parallel in all the means of grace, and faith that truly and effectively takes hold of Christ. But we can push a bit further in this point about, about how God sanctifies us through the means of grace. And so we want to we think here about some verses there in Ezekiel 36. So verses 24 to 27, let's, let's do the, the same here, and we'll, we'll read them together. So God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land, indicating, right, indicating decisive freedom from slavery like we have in justification. That's what's going on there. That, that freedom from, uh, from captivity, from exile, was a type of our justification. And then God continues to say, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Note, let's note carefully, just as we think about the means of grace, that, that God connects his saving work that he will do in the future, namely his, in the new covenant, to sprinkled water, giving us, giving us the mode of baptism that, that God himself uses since his saving reality is linked to sprinkling. 
God continues, And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. Indicating that reality of putting on Christ as your renewal. He's transitioned from from effective uh, release from captivity, justification, to personal renewal. And he describes that. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So after baptizing us, notably God's action, God does the baptizing, the sprinkling. God then does a work within us by filling us with his spirit who who causes our new obedience. Now, I want to, I want to introduce a new category to you. It's actually an old category, but likely not a lot of us have, have considered it. And this category is infused grace. Westminster Larger Catechism 77 asks, wherein do justification and sanctification differ? And the first answer being, this is a long answer, we're only going to think about the one that's relevant to our purposes. Although sanctification be inseparable with justification, yet they differ in that God in justification, here we go, here's the distinction, imputes the righteousness of Christ. In sanctification, His Spirit infuses grace and enables the exercise thereof. In sanctification, God uses the means of grace to put grace inside us. As He filled us with His Spirit, as we've seen described in Ezekiel, to enable and to cause our new obedience. Now the trouble is, still, we, we need to caref- carefully clarify. Grace isn't a thing, is it? So how is it infused? It's not a substance. We can never find a, a substance, point to it, and say, there's the bit of grace. That's not how it works. That's the Roman view. And so how does God infuse grace if it's not a substance. So I'm going to tell a story to see if this can help us understand how this works. There was a few years ago that I was, it was the first time that I was asked to, to write a, a feature article for a, a major Christian magazine. And I, and I was, I was really honored to be asked to contribute this, but I was also really confused by why they'd want me to do this. And I remember saying to Sarah, I genuinely have no, no idea why they, they've asked me to do this, because who am I? Just, you know, at that point, title of an assistant minister. Not very well known, and at least I don't feel all that competent. And now her response, here, and here's the, the important bit. Her response to me was, 
Well, I think you're a big deal. And maybe it seems like a little thing, but those words that my wife said to me left me feeling for months like I had strength to punch through a brick wall if I needed to. Right? My, my, my wife, my most special person, had spoken words of favor to me that I was then, by which I was then charged with, infused with the energy I needed for the task. Believer, what happens to you as you sit under the reading and preaching of God's word? He speaks his favor to you every Lord's Day. Like Sarah's words, infused me with what I needed for that task. So God's word infuses us with the grace, with his favor, with the strength, the new measures of the Spirit who is that inward gift of Christ dwelling in us so that we are enabled to exercise our sanctification. God puts strength within us to bring about new holiness, which is his inward grace. And that brings us to our final point, grace for growth. Namely, meaning this inward grace that we're discussing is grace for growth. And so the, the last point that I just made actually brings us right to the last point about strength, that is, that God, by his word, his address of favor infuses the grace we need for our task to give us strength. That point brings us to our final reflection here. Because I I want to end by thinking more widely about our life of godliness, our experience of sanctification, so that I hope I might leave you with encouragement and excitement about the road ahead in the Christian life. I fear that many believers think the route forward in the Christian life is about bracing yourself to keep God's commands as the opportunity presents itself one at a time. In other words, God has given you a list to obey and you need to find strength to obey each item as you encounter it. The Christian life becomes a matter of simple resilience against temptations in specific moments. I think that there is a more optimistic way of thinking about our progress in sanctification than that. We, we used to, as, as the church in the most broad sense, 
as the church, we used to speak more about Christian virtues. Which is helpful, I think, because uh, the word virtue is just the Latin word for strength. Virtus. Strength. And there is a real sense in which we should think about sanctification less like target shooting, seeing how accurate you can be in a specific instance, and more like muscle training, an ongoing development of our ability. When I used to lift weights before the pandemic happened, uh, one of my favorite exercises was was this this back exercise where you'd... uh, Use cables. You'd grab one up here and one up here, and you'd you'd pull them down like this, uh, straightening your arms back out. Uh, now, the first time I tried to do this, because it's kind of a like a intense fiddly thing, and so it takes a lot of stability, stabilizing muscles. And, the, and so the first time I tried it, I looked really dumb. Um, it was wobbly and uncontrolled, and could hardly do any weight for this. Uh, so it was awful. But, eventually, going back, doing it again, well, I could do a lot of weight, really smoothly. And rather than feeling awful, you could sort of feel your muscles flex with developed strength. Lifting weights is never about, well, yeah, at least in my experience, it's never about how much you can do just at this time. It's not about this moment. It's about how much you do so that you can be better for the next time. And we don't always realize that sanctification isn't just about the temptation right in front of us, as if every temptation always will remain equally difficult. Rather, we we need to see that Saying no to sin and saying yes to holiness isn't just about this time, but also about getting stronger for next time. Every time. So find encouragement in the fact that this isn't about bracing yourself for this moment and you'll have to brace yourself as hard the next time. Rather, every time we walk away from a sin and say, and decide for faithfulness, well, it makes us stronger, trains us better to make sanctified decisions more easily and with greater strength and confidence the next time. Our, our part in sanctification then is not, not a series of individual events. But a long game. And so at this point, we can now see why we began with the Incredible Hulk, right? Bruce Banner, infused by a dose of gamma rays, was transformed into a giant that can pummel any of his enemies. Christian, 
God's own spirit dwells within you. Through his means of grace, God infuses sanctifying grace into you to transform you more and more, indeed more and more, into that spiritual hulk that can pummel the onslaught of temptation. Perhaps not at first, but certainly over time. God brings to completion the good work he began in us. We may often fail, and when we do, we have a mediator to intercede for us. But we do not need to expect, we don't need to count on permanent and perpetual failure of the same sort. When feeling overwhelmed in temptation, remember That God has real plans for your growth. As he infuses grace in you through his ordinary means of grace, remember addressing you with his word of favor. Sanctification is not just about this moment, but about being stronger in the next moment because of God's work in us to cause us to walk in his ways. A temptation may be immensely difficult, in this moment. But, but the right decision now will make that same temptation less formidable in the future. And yet our strength is always drawn from the risen Christ indwelling us by the gift of His Spirit. Because this whole discussion is about how God sanctifies you by applying Jesus and his benefits to you through his means of grace. Christ is then full of grace, not just for justification, but for sanctification. Christ is full of grace, not only as our high priest reconciling us to God, but full of grace also as our king ruling and guiding our lives in fellowship with him. Let's pray. Father God, we are glad that salvation is not half by your grace and justification, half by our strength and sanctification, but that the benefits of salvation, the benefits of Christ are given to us all by grace. One is an act of your grace imputing Christ's righteousness to us. And one is a work of your grace, infusing your word of favor to give us strength we need for whatever you may call us to do to walk faithfully with you. We are glad that this is not arbitrary, this is not abstract, but this happens in the life of the church. As we fellowship together in the communion of saints, as we sit under the reading and preaching of your word, as we, as we receive those those tangible, visible sermons in in baptism and the Lord's Supper, as we drink of Christ in prayer. Lord, you fill us with strength. You give us Christ. You help us put on Christ so that we may make no provision for the flesh. Growing stronger and stronger, seeing the fruit of your grace, that at the end of all things, 
we will be glad to bear witness, to be the testimony that you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion by your grace because of the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.